morning, everyone. Thank you, those who have joined us in person here in the meadow. And thank you to those who are joining us from home or perhaps from Heart of Wisdom. Some news. Over the last two years, we have watched the green fronds of the two big cedar trees in the back of the monastery slowly turning brown and entire limbs dying. Can you, do you think you can show people? And we thought it was you know, stress from lack of water because these are huge trees and tried watering them and Shokan's going to show you. But they continued to turn brown and limbs died. So we consulted an arborist who told us that boring beetles are killing cedar trees in the Pacific Northwest. And I read a post from a person in Seattle who had also seen that in the parks in Seattle area, cedar trees are dying. And he investigated this and he said, I believe that climate change has overexerted these trees to a point where this historically non-critical pest, so the pest is known and has not destroyed trees in the past. This historically non-critical pest has killed many of our western red cedars. As our region is experiencing an increase in warmer nights, our trees are not halting their respiration process and are depleting their carbon resources because uh, trees are carbon sinks and they convert carbon dioxide into oxygen and keep the carbon. This puts the trees in a state of stress. The native western cedar borers is taking advantage of the weakened trees and probably two other infesting agents too and infesting them to a greater level of trees than previously noted. Our smaller diameter western red cedars are more susceptible to this infestation as they are more easily girdled by borer galleries. So under the bark, sometimes all the cambium is destroyed, which is the transport system for the tree. So there is no treatment so far for this. And because these huge trees, as they died, might eventually fall on the monastery buildings. A few days ago, we had a beautiful farewell ceremony for our beloved cedars and had local tree cutters cut down the trees. I'm sorry that you at home cannot experience one completely unexpected benefit of this solemn and to us sad occasion. When Hogan asked the tree cutters after they finished cutting the trees down and um, chipping uh, the limbs so that we have piles of cedar chips, they said, the smell. Now, would you expect people who we think of as uh, you know, kind of industrial laborers um, sawing down huge trees and turning them into chips? Would you think that that would be what they would enjoy the most, the smell? And here it is in the air around us. Not at all our expected piney smell, 
but a beautiful perfume like millions of flowers. If you can't smell it this morning, even those who are sitting here, go and on your way out, get close to the trees or rub your hands on the cut uh, ends of the trees and smell your hands. It's a beautiful perfume. Unexpected benefits. Mm -hmm. We have faced many difficulties in the past nine months, the pandemic, resulting job losses, fires probably um, made more severe by climate change, peaceful protests against rampant injustices committed against people of color and indigenous people, and these peaceful protests being co-opted by those intent upon violence? How can our practice help sustain and even inspire us during these times? Everything has at least two sides. Maizumi Roshi used to ask us, what was the result of World War II? which we would all think was a calamity, World War II. But the results were the Marshall Plan, which helped rehabilitate our former enemies and made them into allies, um, the League of Nations and then the United Nations, NATO Treaty, and so on. So if we don't think in terms of I, me, mine, and what I want to have happen to I, me, mine, but we think in larger terms, which Maizumi Roshi was always asking us to do, then it becomes very interesting and complex. And the Dalai Lama has said that one of the most difficult practices is patience with complexity. Everything is complex when you really look deeply into it, which is what our practice asks us to do. Our practice also asks us not to fall uh, into despair because that doesn't help. But to be aware that we do not know the long-term consequences of any event. Everything that happens can inform us about what the Buddha taught as fundamental, the causes of suffering and the path to relief of suffering. If we take time, to examine these things. This morning we chanted entering the city of Vaishali, which is a sutra from the time of the Buddha, when the Buddha gave instructions for his disciple Ananda to chant certain mantras at the gate of the city of Vaishali in order to dispel an epidemic that was raging there. This is a sutra and a chant that we might have just flipped past if we were reading books of sutras and not read it before February of this year, before we realized that we, like millions of people in the past, were in danger of becoming sick and dying. Dying from what? Dying from the wish to live of an invisible being. Of the wish to replicate characteristic of all living beings. Dying from the wish to live of an invisible being, in this case, 
an invisible being called the coronavirus in the past, smallpox, which decimated the Native Americans who were living here, and so on. This is one of the remarkable inefficiencies of being a human being that each of us has to learn from the beginning. That if we don't study and learn from the past that when a virus affects this, us, it could be a simple cold virus or a deadly virus, we think, why me? I know even as a medical person, I often think when people get, co get colds that, you know, like, what's the fuss? It's just a cold. It's just a runny nose. And then I get a cold and I think, medicine should have done something about this. This is horrible. So we all think, why me? Or we think we're invulnerable because we're rich or we're young or we hold a position of great power. Something that we've seen very clearly during this pandemic. When the news that President Trump and his wife Melania had become ill with COVID, we had a breakfast discussion here at the monastery where we looked at some of the consequences or possible consequences. Of course, there are unfolding political consequences, some of which we couldn't possibly have anticipated a week ago. As more officials fall ill, those consequences will appear. There are public health consequences, the almost impossible job of trying to trace contacts and to contain the hotspots that are arising as a result of recent political gatherings. So these are all important to contemplate and for various people who are involved to work with. But our practice asks us to look deeper. What are the Dharma lessons from this happening? Dharma means universal truths. Dharma with a small d. The, the convention is Dharma with a big d means what the Buddha taught. Dharma means universal truth applying to every person in every time, in every condition, in every culture of every age. This question, why me, is a question that um, a wealthy king, a wealthy ruler, asked 2,500 years ago, when his beloved mother died. Why me? Why did this happen to me? You know, it seems crazy to us why, why people would say, why me, when someone they love dies. But it does. That's, that's exactly our reaction. Or when we fall ill, why me? So King, King Pasanati was in despair because this person he had loved deeply had died. And he consulted a sage, why did this happen? And the sage said, did you not have visits from the four messengers? And the king said, I don't know what you're talking about, the four messengers. And the wise person said, well, haven't you ever seen someone get sick? in the course of your life? Yes, said the king. Well, didn't it occur to you that this would happen to you someday? 
No. Oh, you missed, you missed the first messenger. Haven't you seen people age in your lifetime? Well, yes, but didn't that occur to you that that would happen to your mother and to you? No. And haven't you seen people die? Yes. But didn't it, did it occur to you that those you love and you will also die? No, not really. Well, you missed the third messenger. And then the fourth messenger, which also applies to the Buddha's life, is a person of practice, a wise person, a sage, a holy person, a person who looks more deeply into what is going on, what is life and death about, and can help us. So the Buddha, when he left the palace, encountered the same messengers, but he was startled by them because he hadn't realized that these were universal truths. And it hit him so deeply that he left the palace and undertook his spiritual journey, which led to the consequences of us sitting here in this meadow. Did the Buddha know that 2,540 years from the time he left the palace, there would be 25, 30 people sitting in a meadow in Oregon, which he didn't even know existed, that North America existed, studying his words? Or that through something called Zoom, (laughs) or live streaming, there could be another 30 people also listening to his words and benefiting from practice? There's no way. So this is an important lesson for us in terms of we may not see the consequences of our actions, but still we have to act in accord with the Dharma teachings, with spiritual teachings, because there could be a measurable benefit in the future we don't know. And most people say, if I know that I have benefited one person in my life, one or you could, whatever your number is, (laughs) that would make you feel like, okay, my life was worthwhile, whether it's one or two or five or ten, we each have a little hidden number in our mind, right? Oh, I'd like to benefit this many people before I die, to feel like my life was worthwhile. So that's one exercise you can do. How many people would make you feel, ah, when you die, Okay, that was worth whatever I went through in this lifetime. So what are the Dharma lessons from this happening of our president and his wife and now many people who attended events with him becoming ill? One universal truth that applies to every person in every culture is what we call karma. Karma does not mean fate. And specifically, it does not mean fate if we recognize karma and we have practice. So that's a whole other interesting question to ponder. If we recognize the power of cause and effect, if we recognize karma, that everything we do or say has consequences, and we recognize that and then take it in and make it apply to our lives, things change. Karma essentially means cause and effect. 
But the Buddha talked about a specific kind of karma from intentional speech and actions. From intentional speech and actions. And of course, intentional speech and actions arise from thoughts. Which we know when we watch our mind. This is where our ability to watch our minds and our hearts is absolutely essential. And this also applies to what we're seeing happen now. Our minds might say, I hate wearing a mask. It's hot and it muffles my speech. But when our intention is to reduce suffering, when we understand that there are no others out there, but that we are all one interlinked whole, when we want to protect beings that are more vulnerable than we are, then wearing a mask is a natural act. Because there is no other. If we want to protect ourselves, we want to protect everyone in the one great body. It's a natural, a bodhisattva act. At breakfast, we also talked about detecting evil thoughts. So this is in the, in the sutra that we just chanted, the Vaisali Sutra. Those of you with evil thoughts, may you be destroyed. So, you know, we maybe drifted through your mind as you've been out shopping or something. Uh, thoughts about people who don't wear masks. And some people act on those thoughts, you know, get furious at people who don't wear masks or get furious at people who do wear masks. Maybe evil thoughts about people who don't wear masks, who want to prove that they are strong, who want to exercise their constitutional rights, which is kind of a stunning statement to me. Your constitutional right to what? To make others sick or kill them? Is that a constitutional right? It's not in the Constitution that I've read. We chanted, those of you who have evil thoughts, may you be destroyed. Or another translation is vanquished or dispersed. Dispersed is an easy one, an easier one to work with in our mind. But this is the power of our practice. The power of our practice to change our thoughts, to detect our thoughts. We were having a meeting of some Zen teachers with the current bishop of North America, Akiba Roshi. And I was saying that I was so grateful for practice at this time because it gives us the ability to watch what our mind is doing in times of distress. And it also gives us the ability to work with those thoughts. So what we were calling evil thoughts or difficult thoughts at breakfast, thoughts that are destructive, thoughts that rejoice in another's difficulties. We all have these arise from time to time. So what can we do with them? This is the power of our practice. We have alternatives. And many, many people do not. Many people are completely led around by their thoughts. 
So this practice is a huge blessing in times of difficulties. You know, in times that are easy times, people often don't practice. You know, things are going well. Sun's out, surf's up. My life is going well. I just don't have time for practice. But when difficult times come, that's when the practice supports, inspires, sustains us, and protects us from the consequences of evil thoughts that turn into speech and action. I'd like you to do a couple of exercises uh, very briefly. One thing is to look at fear. To look at fear. So fear is based in thoughts of the past and thoughts of the future. So pick, some, pick a fear in your mind, where the mind keeps saying, if this happens, or because this has happened, then disaster will follow. So see if you can find one, even a subtle one, or an overt one. Could be a fear that somebody you love will die. Could be fear of political consequences in this country. I don't know. Only you know your mind. So pick something that you're afraid of. You're afraid might happen, or is happening. Climate change, flooding, more fires, more smoke, more dying trees. I don't know what it is. Pick one. Now examine, is that fear partly based on thoughts of the past. Is it at all based on thoughts of the past or memories of the past? Maybe not. Now examine, is that fear even partly based on thoughts of the future. Or it could be wholly based in the future. Only you know that about your own thought, your own fear. And it could be both. It could be, oh, this happened in the past, and maybe it's going to happen again. We had the fires this summer. Maybe next year this, the fires will be worse. So really examine this, this fear, this thought that contains fear. How much is it based on past, and how much is it based on future? And then let go of past and future completely. Let go of past and future completely and enter the present moment. To 
open your awareness to all of the events of the present moment. So we start with body sensations. Could start with touch. Sensations of touch in the hands. On the surface of the body where clothing is moving as you breathe. The movements of breathing, movements of ribs, vertebra, perhaps shoulders as you breathe, nostrils, eyelashes. What is what is moving? What, where do you feel touch? Movement is just a series of touches. And touch of the air on the unclothed skin. Then open awareness to sound. Add in sound without naming the sound. Just listen like you listen to music. Watch the mind's tendency to label the sound and then talk about the sound. Pull the mind back and just listen as you're so listening to music. The music the world is always singing to us. And most of the time our ears are closed. touch and sound and then you could add in smell taste and bringing in perhaps one of the most distracting ones Sight, even with your eyes closed, there are things to see. Patterns, perhaps colors. Now try to hold all of that at one time. Touch, sound, sight. Not easy to do, you can see the mind flickering hmm? from touch to sound. And try to expand the mind's awareness to hold it all arising, existing, however briefly, and disappearing.
So then we can ask the question, is there anything to fear in all of this? This rich array of sensations. Or does the mind have to move off the present moment in order to introduce fear? So this is the kind of examination, thank you for doing this exercise, the kind of examination that our practice involves. Curiosity. What is going on? Where does suffering lie? How do I create my own suffering? If I understand my own suffering, I understand other people's suffering. How do I end my own suffering? This is the only person we can really change, the only person we can really know, that we can examine deeply. So our practice gives us this tremendous benefit to be able to look in and see the source of suffering just as the Buddha did. That was his essential koan. And then to see that there are ways to end that suffering. And the more that we deal with our own suffering and end our own suffering, the more energy is available to work with others, however we do that. One of our uh, members downtown was reminding me that when we first moved into the monastery, when it was all just uh, trying to clean up messes and plug leaks in in the roof and Uh, We were very, very, very busy uh, working to make it into something that could function as a monastery. Uh, He came out and we had tea. We were walking around looking at the property, which they hadn't seen. And he said, you made a comment that no matter what happens, there's a place in you that is peaceful and at ease. And he remembered that, this was 20, more than 20 years ago, and he asked me about it the other day. He said, I'm curious about that. Can you tell me about that? And how do you find that and maintain that? So you just got a clue, <laughs> which is, it exists in the present moment. But we have to learn to access, access it at will. And it doesn't mean that we go around like a Pollyanna's, oh, everything's fine. I don't know what you're worried about with the pandemic. Everything's fine. But that there is a place of no fear within us that is the basis for our life. And from that, we can act when it's appropriate. And when it gets agitated or disturbed, which events can cause, We know how to go back to it. Because it's always there. It always has been there. In everyone. In everything. We have examples of it that we rejoice in, like Mother Earth. 
Mother Earth, who, you know, the Buddha said to his son, this is really important that you, the Buddha instructed his own son, Rahula, have meditation like the earth. For the earth never complains if people throw urine or feces or vomit or blood on it. It just absorbs it and transforms it into something beneficial. The Buddha didn't say that part, but that's true. <coughs> and that's true of us, too. That whatever comes, when we have that place, which is recognized and cultivated through practice, and all of us have that. It's a place that's not a place, but it, there are ways to... Um, cultivated in body, in the body, and in the heart, so that we can always open the door and walk back there when we need to. And it takes years of cultivation. Although some people have found it in childhood, that place of safety and security. And often they forgot, they tell me they've forgotten it, and then practice brings them back to it. So this is why there's a fad in mindfulness. Mindfulness means to fill the mind with what's actually happening right now. So now I want to do another short exercise. What are you grateful about that has occurred as a result of this pandemic? So if you'd close your eyes and ponder for a few moments. What are you grateful about that has occurred as a result of this pandemic. Okay, anybody, you can just yell out something and I'll repeat it into the microphone. Disrupted the status quo. And that, the benefit of that is? Opportunity. Opportunity. Mm-hmm. So things aren't just going along as they always have, but suddenly things are thrown into new ways of being, which creates opportunity. Can you give me an example of an opportunity for you? Time to more time for practice. More time for practice. Okay. Yeah. More time for practice. So an opportunity to practice more. And certain things happening in the world that would fuel that practice, right? More subjects to contemplate for practice. Anybody else? Anything you're grateful for that's occurred during this time? Yes. This present moment, right here, right now. Uh-huh, this present moment, right here, right now. So is, has there been new appreciation for it during the pandemic and the fires and so on? I think so, yes. Gatherings like this, mm. the closeness of others, mm. not just by myself, and that, that kind of presence. Uh-huh. 
So he's, he said gatherings like this yes. and the closeness that we feel towards other people uh, becomes precious. Huh? Yes? Uh, new modes of communication. New modes of communication. Yes, example? Yes, being able to talk to people at a distance and because we have to and figuring out how to do that. It highlights how much it is an essential need to be able to talk to other people. And so um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I did a talk on epidemics in, in Japan. And there was a, a, a period of several hundred years where there was an epidemic every 10 to 15 years of smallpox, and large percentage of the population were wiped out. But it would hit a village, and they didn't know. You know, at an adjacent village, it was coming their way because there wasn't any communication. So there could be no preparation. So even a simple thing like that to know, even though it's frightening to hear what was happening in Europe early in this year, it helped should have helped prepare us, let's say, uh, better for what was going to hit us. Yeah. Yes, Allie? More Dharma teachings available through Zoom. More Dharma teachings available through Zoom. A plethora of Dharma teachings available through Zoom. Yes. So, I mean, think of in, in times in, in Japan during the epidemics, you maybe didn't have access to any Dharma teachers at all during times of crisis. You were left on your own. Yeah. Anybody else? Things that you're grateful for have happened? Yes? more quiet and a sense of vulnerability that evokes gratitude. And more quiet because for hmm? your home more. Mm-hmm. I don't feel the push as much to go do. Mm-hmm. A kind of slowing down. You don't feel the push of I gotta do this, I gotta do that. I know we were talking about we used to drive down to Portland twice at least twice a week. Three-hour round-trip drive, you know, and now we have that time theoretically. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes. Uh, more connection with my housemates. More connection with housemates because uh, we're around a lot more, and we stay at the house more. Uh -huh, we stay at the house more, right? So that could be a positive benefit or a negative benefit, depending on your housemates. <laughs> But yeah, we're forced to connect with each other. Yeah. Oh, thank you, everybody. The other benefit is that when death becomes a reality for the possibility of death, which we always push away, when the veil is parted and here it is, the possibility of death, especially for those of us who are older or have pre-existing conditions, then we start to think about our bucket list. What, what is it that I want to accomplish before I die, if I'm allowed to do that? As, as Mary Oliver says, 
at the end of her poem, When Death Comes, I don't want to have just visited this world. So one positive consequence of our being here, one tiny move to cleaning up the external environment, climate change, what can we do about it? It could be a tiny move, like a year ago when it became evident that our clothing was turning into microfibers that were ending up in people's bodies and beings' bodies. And then I looked online, and online, I found an answer that there are filters that you can put on your washing machine, and Jeff, our kindly farmer helper, Bodhisattva, helped us install that. So that's one tiny thing. But then the next, what's the next tiny thing? So... One positive consequence that we'd like to leave, one tiny move towards cleaning up the external environment, or more importantly, the source of the problems in the external environment, our internal environment, and thus our collective consciousness. So thank you very much for your practice. You're cleaning up parts of the environment that I can't both the internal and external environment. And I thank you for it.